told him he was a great player, played really hard, um, and I was honored to go against him on the field. Hey everybody, welcome to the latest edition of Hey Fightin' Podcast, the official podcast of LSU football. As always, I'm Cody Worsham, digital media reporter for LSU Athletics, and coming to you today with a very special edition of the Hurry Up uh, for multiple reasons. I don't know if you can hear this in the background or not. I tried to filter it out as much as possible, but for just one second, I'm not going to filter it out. I'm just going to let it play. Could you hear that sweet, sweet sound? I don't know if you could hear it or not. I I can't really tell at this point in the recording what you can and cannot hear. But what I can tell you is that the sound that you just heard or maybe you didn't hear is the sound of the Gulf of Mexico lapping gently against the sands of Orange Beach, Alabama. Because that is where I'm coming to you from today. There is a bye week this week coming up, as you know. And I took the opportunity this bye week to get away for a little bit of rest and relaxation before the season gets back underway. I'm a big fan. I don't know if you uh, could tell from the sound that I just played or where I'm recording this from. Big fan of the, the two open dates that LSU has in the schedule this year. So uh, I don't know if that's going to be something that they continue to use going forward. I really hope so, though, because I plan to uh, enjoy this week. But I don't know if I'll enjoy this week quite as much as I enjoyed today's win. LSU wins 66-38 over Vanderbilt in a wild game, a weird game, a long game, a game that took four hours and two minutes. It's the second longest game, regulation game, I should say, uh, in LSU football history. Next to the 2007 Alabama game, I believe, is the stat that Todd Politz gave us. So it was a long game. Uh, It was stressful at times, mostly because of the injuries. We'll talk a little bit about that. It was fun uh, for a lot of the time because of LSU's offense and what they continue to do, and we'll definitely talk about that. Uh, it was a little concerning, and there's some questions because of what's going on on the defensive side of the ball, uh, although I do think there are some answers and some solutions there that I'm not too, too worried about, but we'll talk about that as well. I do want to do something a little bit different on today's Hurry Up. Typically, the format of this show has been there is no format. Like I just kind of sit down, and I have some notes, and I start recording Today I do have my notes, but I want to try to segment out the hurry up just a little bit for a couple reasons. One, it'll help keep me organized to where I'm not just coming in scattershot and you know throwing things at the wall and seeing what sticks. Uh, it'll help me keep my thoughts organized, and I think it will also make it a better listening experience for you. Um, but just give me any feedback, as you guys are, are and gals are very good about doing. If you like it, let me know. If you don't like it, we'll go back to the old way. Um, but I think I think this way will work out. Um, as we kind of divide the show up into segments and mix in the audio where it fits and, and, and uh, take the approach that way. So I uh, appreciate you uh, letting me experiment just a little bit. Let me know what you think whenever the thing is done. Okay, first segment that I want to start with, one team, one number. And the point of this segment I think is pretty obvious. I want to take one number from the game that I think tells the story of the game. And for this game, that's kind of hard, right? Like this was a, a, a game with a lot of numbers. When you score 66 points as an offense, you give up 38 as a defense, you play for four hours and two minutes. There's a lot of numbers that you could draw from. The number that I want to go with today, though, is 224. 
And I'm going to give you a second to kind of think about the number 224 and see if you can come up with the answer or, or, or what that number means without any context. Because if you can, you've been paying very, very close attention. You are a, a super fan. Pat yourself on the back. If you can't, don't worry because I couldn't have come up with this number. In fact, I didn't come up with this number. ESPN Stats and Info came up with this number. 224 is the number of points that LSU has scored through its first four games this season. That's a lot of points, right? That's more than 60 points a game. I'm not a great mathematician, but I can do that math off the top of my head. It's more than 60 points a game. In fact, it's 61 points a game if I'm doing the math correctly off the top of my head. But that's not the necessarily the significance of it. It's the most points scored by an SEC offense through four games ever, period, ever. No SEC offense in its first four games has done what LSU has done, scoring 224 points. Now, that's obviously significant for a number of reasons, and you know you could poo-poo LSU's schedule and say, oh, they haven't played a great defense yet. Maybe, although when you play Texas on the road and you play an SEC foe on the road and you play a Georgia Southern team that won 10 games the year before, I, I think there's some things that you could say kindly about LSU's schedule. But regardless, you can take the context however you want to. No team's ever done it. I mean, you could take the, the – picture the best SEC offense in your brain ever put them up against the cupcakiest of schedules they haven't done it so LSU is is literally writing precedent with what they're doing on offense and if that's hard to digest and hard to understand for you an LSU fan uh, maybe you're a new LSU fan a lot of you are probably not new LSU fans you've been around for a while if that's hard to digest because LSU hasn't been in that conversation you're not alone it's hard for me to digest I've been watching LSU football all my life. I was born in 1988. I've been watching LSU since the, the mid-90s that I can remember. And to associate that kind of offense with LSU is different for us. It's different for everybody nationally, and not just because it's LSU, because of the number of points that LSU is putting up. We've gotten past the point where this, this offense is novel and it's, it's shiny and it's new. This is who LSU is, and they're doing it better than any team in the conference has ever done before in the best conference in college football in my opinion and in the opinion of just about everybody out there that follows this sport closely LSU's offense isn't just elite for LSU it isn't just elite this season nationally it is elite historically we're talking about a historic offense through four games so just take a step back take a deep breath take that in for a moment and enjoy the fact that you are a fan of a team that's putting up those kinds of numbers and putting up those kinds of points on offense. It's really, really fun. And I think it's it's easy to watch a college football game and get caught up in the negatives and you know, get caught up in the, the players who are making mistakes and all that stuff. And I get it. We are all, we're all coaches at heart. We all want to analyze the game. But take a step back for a second before we analyze the game. Appreciate the fact that you are watching history in the making, and it's a lot of fun to watch. All right, so that was my number, one team, one number, 224. Let's flip that now, and let's do one play, one heartbeat. The play of the game, and what I mean by play of the game is I don't mean the play that swung the game, although some weeks it may be that, and I don't mean the most important play of the game in terms of determining the outcome, although, again, some weeks it may be that. I don't, I don't even mean the play that was the highlight of the game, although, including this week, some weeks that might be the case. I think it's just the play for me that sums up the story of the game each week and to me this week that play was and if you look at it on the stat sheet it's maybe not the most 
obvious play. It's a little bit innocuous statistically. It was a second quarter completion from Joe Burrow to Jamar Chase. It only picked up 25 yards. It wasn't for a touchdown, and there were a bunch of those. Joe Burrow set a record throwing six, an LSU single-game record. Jamar Chase caught four, which is the second most in program history, the most in program history in an SEC game. See, I told you there would be more numbers on the show. The, the, the play didn't go that I'm referring to here for, for one play, one heartbeat. Didn't go toward contributing any points to LSU. I think, in fact, the drive ended up in just a field goal for LSU. But it was the nature of the play that I think tells so much about this team. It was the play, and you may already remember it, where Joe Burrow gets a late hit or a roughing the pass, or I can't remember what it was, as he's throwing the ball in the face of pressure, and he throws it up to Jamar Chase, who gets uh, the defender that's guarding him gets a flag for pass interference, and Jamar Chase makes the play. So Joe Burrow gets penalized, makes the play. Jamar Chase gets penalized, makes the play. This offense is so good that other teams are breaking the rules trying to stop it, and they still can't. That's how relentless and effective and talented this offense is right now. And I touched on some of the numbers there, but I, I think I think that play to me sums up where this offense is as a whole. Joe Burrow was back at his unstoppable best. 23 of 32, 398 yards, six touchdowns, an LSU record. Um, he was confident. He was he was a little bit cocky again. It's it's that the, the same things that we've seen every week. Uh, I loved the moment, and we'll talk about it a little bit later, where he got into it on the sideline with with the Vanderbilt defense and then came back and responded. And I know that's not for everybody. I know some people would prefer their quarterback maybe to be a little less brash. I think in modern football you have to have that brashness at quarterback. If you look at every level, every quarterback that's successful has that. But we'll get into that specific part in a second. All that to say that Joe Burrow was back at his very, very best. Um, started off absolutely on fire. I think he completed 12 of his thir- first 13 passes. Um, he was kind of pitching a, a perfect game there for a little while. Even the one incompletion was a drop plat- pass from Clyde edwards there. That was a, a tough pass to catch, but uh, nonetheless, Joe was on fire early. And then it was Jamar Chase's turn at receiver. We've seen the receivers rotating. Um, uh, Justin Jefferson had the three-touchdown game against Texas. Terrace Marshall had the three-touchdown game uh, against Northwestern State. And now it was Jamar Chase's day, and he topped them all with four touchdowns. And, and look, I, I've talked about it on the podcast before, especially during fall camp. I saw that from Jamar all fall. I thought he was going to be LSU's best receiver this season, and that's not a slight on Terrace Marshall or Justin Jefferson. I think I just happened to be at the practices where Jamar was doing what he did today. I saw four or five of those practices where he was just unstoppable. And the, I said it before, the battles that he had with Derek Stingley, who we will talk about, later in this episode um, because he did something pretty special too. The battles they had in the fall were unbelievable. You saw iron sharpening iron. It came into play again against Vanderbilt. Jamar was spectacular. Uh, let's look at his final stats. What was it? 10 catches as I'm still pulling up stats. Yeah, 10 catches, 229 yards, four touchdowns. Jamar was uh, he, he was really special. He was dialed in. Two of the touchdowns are almost like mirror images of each other. Um, slants that he caught over the middle and just took off and, and from where I was sitting up in the press box, you could tell as soon as he caught the ball that he was going to score those touchdowns um, because the safety was just taking an angle where he was never going to catch Jamar. And I don't know if there was an angle he could take to catch Jamar. Uh, Jamar was on. And it's it's the talent of this receiver core, man. They're so deep. Um, Terrace Marshall was, was really great before he got hurt. Uh, I'm not going to talk too much about Terrace's injury. We'll get into that a little bit later in another segment just because I don't have a ton of information on that. 
Um, it was a bummer, a real bummer to see him go down because not only has Terrace played awesome this year, and not only does he give this team a skill set that's different than Justin Jefferson and different from Jamar Chase, but Terrace is like the best guy ever. Like he's just a totally likable guy. He works the right way. He's respectful. I mean, all, all the guys really are on the team, but he kind of takes it to another level. So um, hopefully he gets back sooner rather than later. We'll talk about that a little bit later. But it's it's the it just speaks to the talent of this receiver group that I, if I'm a defensive coordinator, I don't know how you game plan for, for, for LSU's receivers. You try to take away one, the other guy beats you. You try to take away that guy, the next guy beats you. Now, even if LSU does miss some guys for a little bit of time, the guys behind him, Racy McMath, had a big game, five catches, 48 yards, uh, a touchdown. Uh, we've seen what guys like Jeray Jenkins can do and John Trey Kirkland. There's just a lot of depth at that position. Uh, but today it was Jamar Chase's day to stand out. And it was the day for him and Joe Burrow to connect on a lot of passes, 10 in fact, for 229 yards. But it was that one play in the second quarter that didn't go for a touchdown, that didn't even set up a touchdown on the drive. But to me it, it symbolized uh, how, just how unstoppable this offense right now and is and, and how tenacious they are as well. All right, next segment I want to get to, I think is pretty obvious what this one will be about. It's the game balls, and it's the offensive, defensive, and special teams player or players of the game. Offense, yeah, it's Joe Burrow and it's Jamar Chase. They're going to share the ball. I've said all the reasons why. I could dive a little bit deeper into the numbers. I don't think it's necessary. I think we all see pretty obviously how dominant those two guys were. Defensively, to me, there's a couple guys that are in the mix for this one. Jacob Phillips. Jacoby Stevens going back to Nashville. Nashville natives had him on the show earlier this week. Both those guys were really good. Jacob Phillips had 10 tackles, six solo tackles, three tackles for loss. Jacoby Stevens got an interception, had five tackles, played well in that deep free safety role without Todd Harris there, had a PBU. But for me, the, the defensive game ball is going to go to Derek Stingley, who was awesome, who was tested, and who absolutely delivered in the face of that testing. His final stat line, five tackles, all of them solo tackles, three pass breakups, and his first career interception on a really great play. Went up and and had a really good battle going with Vanderbilt's wide receiver, uh, Kalijah Lipscomb, who is going to be a pro, uh, one of the better receivers in the SEC. And they were going back and forth early. Lipscomb was getting the better of Stingley early. I had people in my Twitter mentions uh, complaining about it. I said, I didn't actually respond to him, but I just kind of thought to myself, be patient. I think I think this, the freshman's going to respond well. And he did with uh, with that late interception. And if you look at their battle, and I don't have the, the pro football focus stats in front of me that I normally do. They haven't been processed yet. But by my calculation during the game, Stingley ended up winning that battle, if you look at him and Lipscomb, uh, when, they, when Vanderbilt was passing towards Lipscomb. By my calculation, they were 4 of 9 for 50 yards, no touchdowns in the interception, which is a 22.6 NFL passer rating. In other words, that's absolute lockdown defense from Derek Stingley. I know Lipscomb made a couple of plays early, but Stingley to get in there with one interception and three pass breakups, that's four forced incompletions by a freshman cornerback. You know, we've, we've talked a lot about Stingley on the show, one of the best freshman cornerbacks that LSU's had, one of the best freshman cornerbacks in the country. Drop the label. He's not one of the best freshman cornerbacks. He's one of the best cornerbacks, period. And that's saying a lot with Christian Fulton on the other side, who I thought was really good today as well. Had a couple big tackles. Derek Stingley is the real deal. I'm not telling you anything you don't know. The kid is unbelievable. 
to get his first interception, to lose his helmet like he did in the spring game. Um, you could kind of see it as, as literally his his coming out party to the college football world, his, um, his, his debut, his reveal, his grand reveal. Hey, look at me. I am uh, one of the best cornerbacks in the country, and I'm going to be here for three more years. So uh, SEC offensive coordinators and quarterbacks will not enjoy that. LSU fans revel in it because the kid – is unbelievable special teams game ball again this one's obvious it's micah baskerville micah baskerville had an unbelievable day on special teams it started off with the kickoff to start the second half vanderbilt tried to catch lsu off guard and a game that i wouldn't say was close but it was closer maybe on the scoreboard than it felt like in the box score vanderbilt was really only down by three touchdowns maybe they're thinking if we get an onside kick here we can get a touchdown. We can drive. We can put a little pressure on LSU in front of the home crowd, which, by the way, I say home crowd. There were far more LSU fans there than Vanderbilt fans, so kudos to the LSU fans that showed up. Unbelievable crowd. But maybe Vanderbilt's thinking, okay, we can we can get a touchdown here and, and get the onside kick, catch him off guard. LSU was not caught off guard. Greg McMahon had his guys prepared. Micah Baskerville picked up the onside kick, raced it back to the two-yard line, almost got in, showed off his – uh, high school running back skills. Uh, Joe Burrow gave him a little flack after the game for not getting in the end zone in the postgame press conference. I told him he should have had two touchdowns. He only had one. He got tackled at like the three-yard line. A lot of guys on our team get, like getting tackled at the three. It seems like it happens like two or three times a game. Ah, he said he was a running back in high school. He talks about it all the time. Got to score that one. I'll take the touchdown, though. But as Joe said there, uh, Micah did end up getting his touchdown on a pretty impressive blocked punt followed by the recovery of the blocked punt in the end zone. Really good to see LSU get some explosive plays on special teams. That's the kind of thing that's going to swing a game at some point this season. And look, Micah made his way on special teams today. He's been really good when he's been plugged in on defense too. If you look at his his grades, Pro Football Focus puts their grades out after the games. After the, what was it? not the Texas game, so it was after the Northwestern State game. I think he graded out as LSU's highest graded defender in that game, and I would guess that he was pretty highly graded for this game as well. So good to see Micah Baskerville uh, make an impact in the game uh, in special teams, not once but twice. Pretty uh, pretty impressive to see. He's got the game ball for special teams, and he's going to hold on to that thing tight. It's going gonna, it's gonna to take a special performance from someone else to take it from him. So I'll, uh, I'll end the show uh, the last segment here will be what I'm calling press play. And uh, I think that's the part that you'll enjoy most. It's some of the best sound from the locker room after the game. Uh, you heard the soundbite there from Joe Burrow that I enjoyed. To me, the, the best soundbite of the game was Joe Burrow talking about his little altercation with the Vanderbilt sideline. And I believe that was after Joe had scrambled out to the right. He tried to throw the ball away. Vanderbilt intercepted it the the throwaway but the guy was out of bounds took it back to the house and Joe kind of got shoved out of bounds which happens to him a lot he gets shoved out of bounds a lot I guess because he doesn't slide or or get rid of the ball soon enough but anyway and look I'm going to tell you right now this is a hate fighting podcast exclusive okay I know the inside story of what Joe Burrow actually said to the Vanderbilt sideline I can confirm it with multiple sauces um I know what Joe said, and I'm going to tell you, and this is not something I'm going to tweet. It's not something I'm going to write about. This is a Hey Fighting Podcast exclusive scoop that you could only get here. And uh, and so just to give you that special little nugget. But before I do, here's Joe Burrow talking about the altercation. Basically what happened is, like I said, he got shoved out of bounds, and he said something 
to the Vanderbilt sideline, in particular one defender. It looked like, and you couldn't tell from the TV broadcast, it looked like Joe was walking away from the skirmish, decided to come back, said something, then walked off. Here's Joe saying what he said. I told him he was a great player, played really hard, um, and I was honored to go against him on the field. Could you hear the grin that Joe Burrow sported after he said that? I don't know if you can or not. There's video of it on Twitter. He sported a, a grin. I can't say this on the podcast. It's a it's a blank-eating grin. I think you know what I mean. He sported that grin after he said that. Now, here's the scoop. I can tell you exactly what Joe Burrow said. Not exactly what he said. The idea of what he said. And it'll make sense to you because if you saw a little bit later in the game, Joe looked toward the Vanderbilt sideline and flashed what you could see on the broadcast was fives. It looked like he flashed three fives. Well, he actually, before that, flashed a couple of zeros, too, with his hands. He did double zeros and then five. And I didn't see the whole thing, but what he was saying was 500. And I think the broadcast interpreted it as, oh, LSU just scored its fifth touchdown. He's pointing out that they've got five touchdowns. Not exactly right, because from what I gather, what Joe Burrow said to Vanderbilt in that moment in the sideline to that particular defender was, okay, now I'm going to hang 500 yards on you. So after that, he... After he threw that touchdown pass, he was telling that defender, yeah, I'm going to throw for 500 yards. Uh, he didn't live up exactly to that. Um, he, he came up just shy of 400, but I think LSU fans will take that. And, again, like I said earlier in the show, I, I love it. I love a quarterback that has that kind of confidence. And it doesn't. you know what? It doesn't matter if I love it. You know who loves it? Every dude in that locker room, every player in that locker room would go to bat for Joe Burrow because he puts it on the line. He puts – his neck on the line for them. Um, he's got the confidence to lead them to where they need to go. And look, as good as Joe Burrow's been with his arm, as accurate as he is, as much as his footwork has improved in the, in the pocket, uh, as much as his conceptual understanding of the offense has improved, all that stuff is really important to how well LSU is doing right now. I think his confidence, first, I think his confidence carried him through last year when there wasn't that comfort level with the offense, when he was struggling to find that poise in the pocket. And now I think that confidence is taking all those tools that he's developed and taking them to another level and putting him exactly where he is in the Heisman conversation. All right, some more sound from the locker room. Jamar Chase, obviously one of the stars of the game. I wrote a big feature on him up at LSUsports.net on the entire offense, but Jamar was one of the focal points because of what he did today. Here he is talking about some of the competitiveness in the wide receiver room uh, some trash talking that was going on between him and Justin Jefferson literally seconds after Justin Jefferson scored a touchdown. Talk about being back. How much did it kind of drive you crazy not playing last week, and how much did that motivate you today? Uh, with a lot of bets going on with me and Terrence and Justin, I had to score at least three today so I could be back in a race for the, for the touchdown race, so I just felt great about that. Is this a season-long bet? Yeah, season-long bet. What's the stake? Uh... I think it's $100 a Waffle House. It's one, it's one of those. Is it $100 at Waffle House? Nah, it's either $100 <laughs> or Waffle House. Yeah, what, would, yeah. what would you prefer, the Waffle House or the $100? $100, of course. Of course, the $100. Spend it at Waffle House, I guess. Nah. nah. <laughs> so that was Jamar talking about the bet that the receivers have. Whoever scores the most touchdowns this season gets to choose between $100 and Waffle House. You can tell he's not the biggest Waffle House fan. Waffle House is big in that receiver's room. I, I think Jamar is one of the guys who's not quite as big on Waffle House. But 
I had some audio of Jamar talking about uh, the trash that he was talking to Justin Jefferson after Justin scored the first touchdown of the game. It's just not very good. There's lots of popping in the background, so I'm not going to play it. Basically what he said is after Justin Jefferson scored his touchdown, he was telling him that he was terrible, that he almost dropped the touchdown pass, um, that he felt sad for him. And then, uh, and then Jamar, Jamar came back to score four touchdowns. It's all in good fun if you saw those guys are celebrating together. But that it really is a super competitive room. Those guys do talk a ton of trash to each other, but they also support each other uh, as much as any position group I've ever seen support each other. They're so happy when the other scores. They do each other's touchdown dances. They are all in on the success of each other. And that's one of the cool things to see about that receiver room is how much those guys – care about each other I keep saying and we keep talking about everybody eats in this offense but it's got to be hard right when you're the one that's not eating that day and you're watching everyone else do the eating and you're kind of waiting your turn these guys don't seem to struggle with that though they, they seem to understand that their turn's going to come and that the success of their teammate is going to inevitably lead to the success of themselves and, and as the team as a, as a whole so it's cool to see them buy into that philosophy last soundbite that I'll play as part of press play is Ed Orgeron talking about who else? Jamar Chase. Well, you know, I said on the headset, I said, uh, let's call recruiting. <laughs> we knew Jamar was an excellent player. And, you know, he was committed to Florida. We fought. I got to give Mickey Joseph the credit. Mickey went down there and fought and had a great relationship with his parents. And we always felt that uh, Jamar could be that type of player. And uh, what did they uh, it's an interesting dynamic to find myself in. I, I can't speak for everyone else, although I, I, think, I think I can relate to where a lot of you are right now. And certainly I can relate to where a lot of sports writers are because that's the position I'm in. It's, I, I tweeted this during the game. Like it's, it's, it's almost getting hard at this point, and I mean this in a good way. It's getting hard to write about this team because the offense is, is continually breaking records. Like, how many times in a row can I write the same story? How many times in a row can I record the same podcast talking about how good this offense is? Now, fortunately, they've given us some variation in terms of like, okay, one day it's Justin Jefferson, one day it's Jamar Chase, one day it's Terrace Marshall. But the, the, this offense, the, the terrible pun that I made on Twitter was this offense keeps breaking records and it's making us sound like broken records. Like we just keep repeating the same things over and over again. But I think as LSU fans, you'll understand – as someone who's covered this team for a long, long time and, and now covers a team from the inside, I understand it's a good problem to have. Uh, it's not even a problem, really. It's a good, it's a good little uh, quirk for the the sports writers and the media types and the and the uh, amateur podcasters to deal with. So, uh, I'll finish the show, and this is something that I want to try to do going forward. And again, tell me what you think of the, the the format, the segmented format. If you like it, if you dig it, if you don't, you hate it, and you want me to get rid of it and throw it into the ocean that's sitting right in front of me. I'll be glad to do it. Um, not glad, but I'll do it. Last segment I want to finish with, though, is uh, what I'm going to call questions. And questions is going to be sort of my attempt to – and this week it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense because it's a bye week, but I'm going to try to guess some of the questions that Ed Orgeron is going to get in his press conference on Monday. Um, I, I, to be honest, I don't even know if there's a press conference on Monday. I'm assuming not because it's a bye week and there usually isn't. Uh, I won't be there for obvious reasons if there is, but I will be streaming online if there is, and I'll, I'll try to – keep abreast of things i'm assuming there's not though but let's go ahead and project the questions for the next press conference even if it's after the bye week and it's going into the utah state week i think the first question that ed orgeron is going to get asked about and unfortunately it's not one that i can answer one because i don't really have the knowledge to answer it um two because it's also not really my business but i think one of the questions he's going to be asked about is 
the injuries and, and the injuries and how LSU is going to deal with some of the injuries. He talked a little bit about it after the game. Justin Jefferson left the game with an ankle injury. He said he thinks Justin Jefferson will be okay. Justin Jefferson tweeted after the game that it was just a little ankle sprain. I don't think that one's a huge concern. It's the other ones that were picked up today. Michael Divinity um, was getting an x-ray, I believe. Coach O said he wasn't sure how it would be. Didn't sound too positive about it. And then Terrace Marshall was the other one who I hinted at earlier in the show. And I think Coach O said something, and I'm paraphrasing along the lines of it doesn't look good. So we'll see. I think there were some reports out there about Terrace um, that you could probably find on Twitter with a time frame. I don't know. Don't want to speak on those. Not a doctor, not a trainer. I, I will say that I do think Coach O is going to get asked about that. And as far as the injuries themselves, and you also have to rope into there the injuries to guys like Glenn Logan, who didn't play today, Rashard Lawrence, who didn't play today, Caleb on Chason, who didn't play today. I think getting those guys back is obviously huge. I think those three in particular are really, really important to get back. You saw today with LSU kind of playing a second team defensive line of sorts, like guys like Joseph Evans and Neil Farrell, Justin Thomas getting starts. They, they, they stepped up and made some plays, but they also made some mistakes that you would expect from guys being thrust into a, a new role. You get back Glenn Logan, you you get back Rashard Lawrence, and this kind of answers another question that I'm going to say here in a second, but it, it kind of solves some of those problems. You, you get back Caleb on Chase on, who might be the best pass rusher in the SEC, it kind of solves some of those problems that we saw today. So I think those are really important to get back as soon as possible. Maybe it's Utah State, maybe it's Florida. Hopefully it's one of those two games. We'll see. This bye week, I think, comes at the perfect time for LSU in that regard. Now, when you look at Terrace Marshall, if it is a slightly longer-term thing, if it is a couple of games, a few games, a handful of games, I, and again, I don't know. This isn't – I gave you the Hey Fighting Podcast exclusive earlier on Joe Burrow. This isn't an exclusive. I, I, I honestly don't know. If he misses a couple of games, I do think, first of all, it's a huge absence. He's an awesome player, and he plays a huge role. The bright side, the silver lining on that dark cloud, is that there is some depth at that position. You do have – some guys who could step up and play bigger roles, whether it's a Derek Dillon, a Racy McMath, um, guys who have made plays in the offense before. You can get Stephon Sullivan more involved in the pass game. He had another good game at tight end, by the way. Get Thad Moss more involved in the passing game. There, there, there are more passing options to throw to. I think you have more selections there as opposed to the, the defensive front where LSU's frontline guys, the Glenn Logans, the Richard Lawrences, are really, really important and aren't as – replaceable aren't as you, you don't have the production the proven production there to step in for those guys so I think that's one of the first questions that Orgeron will be asked next time he addresses the media is about those injuries and I'll be interested to see his answer because I'm really hoping that a lot of those guys are getting back soon uh, another question that I think Coach O is going to be asked about and this is something we talked about on the last podcast is how Ed Ingram fits into the offensive line Ed Ingram is reinstated to the team this week had some legal issues. He's back, and all the charges and stuff that he was dealing with had been dropped. He is back on the team. He did not travel to the Vanderbilt game. He has to go through the acclimatization period. Did I say that word right? It didn't feel right coming out. But he has to go through the kind of five-day period where they put on pads or, or they don't go pads in the first few days, and um, and then they put on pads and all that stuff. So he, he still got a little bit of practice work to do before he's back in the fold, but that's something Coach Rose is going to be asked about is how does Ed Ingram fit? Is he a guy that steps in for you at one of the guard spots? Although, let's be honest, Damian Lewis is holding down that right guard spot. And how about Adrian McGee? Goodness gracious, it went viral today with the two hits that he laid on that one play. 
just absolutely laid out a couple of guys with uh, with two big blocks, and he's he's done a solid job at left guard for you. Um, I'll be curious to see how Ed Ingram has worked in. Is he a guy that steps into a guard spot? Is he a guy that gives you depth? Uh, is he a guy that you know maybe you put at one spot and you can move somebody else to another spot? I don't know. I think the offensive line is is making strides though, and uh, I'll be curious to see if Ed Ingram gets back in the fold immediately. If he's worked in slowly, if he gives you depth, as we've seen with other positions, you can't have enough depth. So uh, regardless for for Ed, it's it's good to see him back in the fold, uh, have all his his problems behind him, and uh, it's good for LSU to get that that depth back up front. So um, I, I think that's a couple of the questions that Coach O will be asked about. And I'll finish with this, and, and we'll talk about it. I think he's going to be asked about the defense and the continued um, inconsistency that LSU's had defensively. I will say this. LSU gave up 38 points to Vanderbilt. You're going to see people tweeting about stats. I've seen on my, my Twitter mentions uh, about it's the second most points LSU's ever given up to Vanderbilt. A couple qualifiers, and I'm not being a sunshine pumper here, I don't think. I'm just being objective. The offense gave up 14 points with the fumble in the end zone at the end of this, the first half where Joe, Joe Burrow and – Clyde Edwards either muffed the, the little handoff exchange. Vanderbilt recovers it in the end zone. That's seven free points. And then there was a late pick six, pick, pick seven, pick six with the extra point uh, that Miles Brennan, who, who who was called for tar- – or he got called for being the recipient of a targeting hit, and then it was overturned. And it was one of those plays that I uh, – I tweeted this during the game. I don't know what targeting is. I have no idea. That looked like textbook targeting to me. It was overturned. I don't know what targeting is. Regardless, Miles Brennan – through pick six at the end of the game uh, on a targeting call that was overturned. And uh, that, that was another uh, f- seven points that LSU's offense gave to Vanderbilt. So you take away those four- 14 points, LSU's defense only gave up 24. Still not a great number, but I think there was positive signs of progress. And again, when you're missing all the guys that you're missing, and I'll, and I'll talk about the pro- positive signs of progress in a second and specifically – when you're missing all the guys LSU's missing, I don't think you can discount that. I think you have to take it into consideration that you do expect Glenn Logan and Rashard Lawrence back. You do expect Caleb on Chase on back who wanted to play in this game. Those guys are going to make a difference for this LSU defense. They're going to take them to another level. So I don't think you can just throw that out and discount it entirely. That said, there are some issues that LSU has to fix defensively. Dave Miranda's not listening to this podcast right now. If you were, uh, or if you were sitting here next to me or I interviewing him, I'm sure he would give you the full arsenal of all the things they need to work on. They're missing tackles. They're missing assignments. Coach O went over that pretty in-depth in the game or after the game, actually, some of the assignments that were missed, guys going in the wrong gaps, four techniques taking the wrong gap, three techniques taking the wrong gap. All of those things have to be fixed, and I promise you Dave Aranda knows that and is working on it. That said, I did see some signs of progress from LSU's defense against Vanderbilt namely in the passing game. I thought LSU was pretty good against the pass, held, uh, held Riley Neal to 108.4 pass rating. That'll, that'll get the job done, below 50% completion, um, well below. He, he only had 206 yards on 31 attempts. That's a pretty good uh, yards per attempt average. Uh, and then you had you know Christian Fulton I thought was pretty good in coverage. Derek Stingley, who I mentioned earlier. Jacoby Stevens adapted well to that safety spot. Grant Delpit is still an All-American at safety. Uh, the, the secondary, to me, took a step forward, made some plays against a receiver core. Look, do some research. Vanderbilt's receiver core is really good. Their, their top three guys are very, very highly thought of. So 
Um, those the, the, the secondary, I thought, took a step forward. And then I thought you saw some good play out of guys like Braden Fajoko, who had a few tackles for loss. That was a, a big thing that LSU hadn't generated a ton of sacks, tackles for loss on the season. They had three sacks. They had nine tackles for loss. Um, Jacob Phillips had three of those. Braden Fajoko had two and a half of those tackles for loss. Damone Clark got a sack and a half. Braden got in on a sack. Justin Thomas got a sack. So to get three sacks, nine tackles for loss, I thought it was a step forward. Then the nine pass breakups, like I mentioned, from the from the defense, including Tyler Shelvin with two uh, two tip balls, he got his hands up. So there were there were signs of progress. Now, is this defense where it needs to be? No, not even close. Is this defense where it's going to end up? No, I don't think it's even close. Especially when you get guys back and you t- continue to develop some of the younger guys. But there are some concerns there. There are some things that need to be fixed. It wasn't the performance that I think Dave Aranda or his team wanted. But there are some signs of progress. There are some signs that this is a defense that can get the job done. And the good thing is they have an offense that just keeps breaking records and uh, is unbelievable. So uh, that will wrap it up for me today on uh, on Hey Fighting Podcast. Let me know what you thought of, of segmenting it up. Uh, I am going to go to bed now, and, uh, and I'm going to wake up in the morning, and I'm going to enjoy the bye week um, by starting with my toes in the sand. So... I'll be back at some point, certainly not this week. Um, I, I think I'll probably take the week off completely. I do have a couple stories that I'll be working on here, but I think I'll take the week off entirely from podcasting. Enjoy the bye week. I'll come back next week. We'll get you ready for Utah State, and uh, and we'll talk then. So thanks for listening, and uh, and I'll see you next time on Hate Fighting Podcast. Said fight, 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 victory for, victory for, victory for LSU. We are number, number one. Victory for.